You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. challenge is that even good and glorious godly experiences can backfire. In the Colossian church, they became spiritually proud and got way off. Instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping angels. Thank God this angel does not let John worship. He said, get up! Get up! Don't do that! Sometimes the desire for the experience is a desire that is out of the will of God. Gives you the experience, is glorious, but he said, hey, but that's not where I want you to live. That's not where I want you to stay. All of us have dreams and aspirations. Maybe you want to travel the world and see the glories of God's creation. Or maybe you just want to stay right at home, close to family and friends. But as Pastor Danny warns us in today's message, you need to make sure that experiences, even spiritual ones, don't become the focus of your life. Following Jesus needs to be your top priority. This requires handing over your desires and replacing them with His, even when they directly contradict yours. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, as he continues his message, Created to Worship. would say, well, we're not good enough to go directly to God who lives outside of the material world. And so what they would do in Gnosticism is they would seek to go through an angel. And they would try to contact the angel so that the angel would take their request to God. And in doing so, they would be elevated and become more spiritual. But what happened, what happened, this is real. I mean, it really happened in history in Colossae is these people would tell you about their spiritual experiences. As a matter of fact, every time you're around them, they're going to give you their spiritual experience and their knowledge. And what happened is a false humility. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. I don't hang out with people who every time I'm with them are going to tell me how much they know spiritually and how great their spiritual experience was. I'm not talking about sharing testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. I'm talking about people who, oh, I had this vision and God gave me this insight. And you get around them and they're always telling you. And what they're doing is they're portraying themselves as so much more spiritual than you. And they've got that divine spark and they've got the gnosis that you want, but you don't have. They've lost connection with the head. They're not really spiritual. They're unspiritual. The mark of a truly spiritual person who worships God is humility. 
Let me take you to a text, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle Paul, I don't know anybody in the New Testament that had more spiritual experiences than the apostle Paul. He tells us about one here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's where the throne of God is. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. In other words, it really happened. Not making it up, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Now, why is Paul telling them now? Well, if you study the context of 2 Corinthians, he's defending his apostolic ministry for the sake of wayward Corinthians. And he didn't tell them about this experience for 14 years. 14 years. And the only reason he tells them here is to add weight to the authority God has given them, him for building them up, not for tearing them down. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 is very practical. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What happened in Colossae? When they worshiped angels, they became spiritually proud. It was a false humility. They were really proud. Paul says because of the tremendous spiritual experiences he's had, including being caught up to heaven, whether in the body, out of the body, he doesn't know, but he was caught up there. He saw things amazing, and he didn't tell anybody for 14 years. And to keep him from being conceited, God gave him a thorn in his flesh. If you've been given great privilege and great spiritual insight, don't be surprised if God doesn't give you a thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. So it's not a great outline, but I think it's a great message. <laughs> One of the dangers of glorious spiritual experiences is spiritual pride. But there's a second. Boy, is it practical. And I was led by the Lord to Matthew chapter 17 to illustrate this one because I don't know a better place to illustrate it than Matthew chapter 17. Verse 1, Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, you got to love Peter. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put three shelters up. I'll build three houses. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him, exclamation point. In other words, Peter, shut up. 
Peter, you find him talking at times when he should just be listening. But he gets his big foot and his big mouth and he gets in trouble. And he does here. But it's, a, it's an amazing, glorious experience, isn't it? It's a godly experience. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're seeing the glory of Jesus for who he really is. But Peter makes the mistake of forgetting about the wife, forgetting about the kids, forgetting about the ministry back down the mountain. And what he wants to do and what he suggests, this is great. Let's just live here. No, I appreciate that. Most of you know, I remind you occasionally how old I am. I'm 61. I announced at the old church, even though I didn't want to do it, it wasn't my desire. Last thing in the world I wanted to do was retire. But with that said, I do think about it, especially when we go do ministry in Montana, like we did a few weeks ago, and then drive from Montana to Banff. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've seen pictures, but the pictures don't do it justice. It's absolutely, here's the word, (laughs) glorious. It's glorious. I come outside in the little condo we're staying at because we're getting some R&R between the ministry in Montana and the ministry in Banff, taking a little vacation time, spend my own money, rent a little condo. We walk out and every morning the mountains are right there, just right there. And I said to my wife, I could look at this every single day and not get tired of it. And you know what? I was glorifying the Lord. We'd go on hikes and we'd go on walks and I'd be praising the Lord and thanking the Lord. And it was a good experience. It was a glorious experience. The danger is you just want to stay there. My dream in my older age, which I'm not there yet, (laughs) is to be able to travel Sell the house here. Get a camper. It's going to take a miracle because my wife is not willing at this point. So some of you need to talk to her. A couple came up last night and said they're part of our fellowship. And they said, you know, we live in a camper now. We sold the house. I said, go talk to my wife. Start to get her ready for the future. And I'll pastor here as long as God tells me to stay. At least that's my intention. But one day, one day, when I'm old, my dream is to be able to travel around and visit churches, especially in the Calvary family, but also outside the Calvary family. It's ultimately one church. And to be able to encourage young pastors, and if they give me an opportunity to teach the word, I'll teach the word. That's my dream. But sometimes, even a good, godly experience or a good thing In life, it can backfire because we end up saying, this is what I want to do. And we end up doing it. But the question is, are we doing it? Listen, in the will of God. Peter's mistake was in the glorious experience on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration to say, it's good to be here. Let's just stay here. Forget the wife. Forget the kids. Forget everything. Stuff down in the valley. Let's just stay here on the mountain of glory. Now, if you want to really get angry at me and get upset, then I'll allow you to because I'll drive this thing home. The American dream is not to be found in the Bible. See, I just made some of you mad. 
Look, if God lets me get a camper one day and God does a miracle in my wife's heart and says, okay, I'm willing, let's go. But what I ultimately want is God's will. If God wants me to stay here till I'm 90 and you keep listening to me, and I'll tell you the truth, I've been looking at some of you for many years and you've been listening to me for many years and I'm, I'm tired of looking at you sometimes and you're tired of listening to me. <laughs> So wouldn't you pray that the will of God would be one day we get the camper and somebody else comes in that's fresh and new and I'll stop in every now and then and say hi and tell you about the glorious experience we had on the road. And then when you get old, we'll just get a team of campers. Some of us will all go and we'll just have a caravan. Here goes the Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Making its way. We'll head to the Virgin Islands and visit some of our friends in the Virgin Islands. The challenge, the challenge is that even good and glorious godly experiences can't backfire. In the Colossian church, they became spiritually proud and got way off. Instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping angels. Thank God this angel does not let John worship and say, get up, get up, don't do that. Sometimes the desire for the experience is a desire that is out of the will of God. He gives you the experience, is glorious, but he says, hey, but that's not where I want you to live. That's not where I want you to stay. There's need down here. So for those of us at that age when we're looking to just live out the American dream, I caution you, I challenge you, as I've been challenged, ask God what his will is. And if he allows you to have the experience, great. But maybe the experience is just for a moment in time, and then you go back and do the ministry he's called you to do. And then you have those occasional mountaintop experience, but he doesn't want us to live there necessarily because that's what heaven is. That's what heaven is. You talk about a glorious experience, and it's going to never end. Now, what should true worship produce in us? And that's why I'll spend just the last few minutes and then we'll close. What should true worship produce in us? Genuine humility. Genuine humility. If we're truly worshiping, we're not talking about ourselves and our spiritual experiences. Oh, sharing testimony. Yes, that's different. Sharing, oh, this is what Jesus did and praise the Lord for this and sharing scripture and all that. Yeah. But not promoting ourselves and our experience, or our knowledge. Second, true worship should produce wholehearted devotion to the will of God. One of the things I memorized out of the air I breathed years ago, and I I, I got it, and hopefully I got it in my heart because it's in my head. I love a quote from Louis Giglio, follow the trail of your time, energy, affections, and money, and there you find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. And that, that memorization helps me in life because I, I, I say it to myself. Follow the trail of your energy, affections. Well, I just had a senior moment. <laughs> Time, energy, affections, and money. Time, energy, and look, you look at those things. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my energy? What is my affection on? Sometimes, if your affection is on a boyfriend or a girlfriend more than on God, you're worshiping that person. 
whether you admit it or not. Time, energy, affections, and money. And there you find the throne. And whatever, whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. True worship produces genuine humility. True worship yields wholehearted devotion. And then one more, and we'll close. True worship makes Jesus the center of my life. What did our text say? Revelation 19. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Bear with me for the last couple of minutes. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, as we were in the beginning of our study of Revelation, we found that Jesus, the Lamb of God who was the Lion, the Lion who was the Lamb, is at the center of the throne in heaven. Center. 66 books really, made into one book we call the Bible, written over a period of some 1,500 years by almost 40 authors in several languages containing hundreds of topics, but one theme. Psalm 40, verse 7, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, Jesus. In Genesis 3, he's the seed of the woman who has crushed the head of the serpent. In Genesis 14, he is Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high without beginning of days or end of life. In Genesis 22, he's typified in Abraham offering his one and only son on Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Numbers, he's the rock that accompanied the Israelites in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Leviticus, he's the fulfillment of all the sacrifices, and those could never take away sin, but he, by his one sacrifice, took away sin. In Joshua, he is Joshua. The only one who can lead us into the land of promise. In Judges, he's the deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's prophet, priest, and judge. In the Psalms, and the Psalms are filled with specific prophecies about him. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisdom of God. In Song of Solomon, he's the bridegroom. He's the suffering servant in Isaiah. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he's the word of God, warning of judgment to come. In Daniel, he's the son of man, the Messiah, coming on the clouds of heaven. In Jonah, he's typified by Jonah being three days and three nights in the heart of the great fish. And Jesus said, like Jonah, I'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Micah prophesied and predicted the exact place he would be born, Bethlehem, Ephrata, Zechariah, filled with him. He's the angel of the Lord who takes off the filthy clothes of Joshua, the high priest, and puts rich garments on him, and in the process completely cleanses him of his sin. In Zechariah, he's also prophesied, and the exact amount of money that one of his own would betray him for, 30 pieces of silver, and exactly what happens to that money. Thrown into the temple of the Lord to the potter, and they bought the potter's field with the money. In Malachi, he's the prophet Or the prophet Elijah comes just prior to his second coming. The Gospels give us the detailed account of his life, his death, his resurrection. The book of Acts records his continuing work through his disciples. In Romans, he's the one through whom we are justified freely by the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians, we're told that all things are ours in him. 2 Corinthians, he's the one who knew no sin but became sin for us in order that we might become 
the righteousness of God in him. In Galatians, he's the one who has set us free from the law. Hallelujah. In Ephesians, through him, God's ultimate will is going to one day be fulfilled, that Jesus will be the head over all things for his church. In Philippians, he's the one through whom we can do all things by the strength he gives. Colossians, he's the firstborn, the preeminent one over all creation, and the one who holds everything together. First and second Thessalonians, he's the one who inspires us to hold on, endure through the trials, because he's coming soon. First Timothy, he's the one mediator between God and man. And second Timothy, he's the one raised from the dead, descended from David. In Titus, he's the hope of eternal life promised before the beginning of time. In Philemon, he's the prisoner freed to a whole new life. In Hebrews, he's our great high priest. In First Peter, he's the one we love even though we've not seen him. In Second Peter, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness to escape present culture. First, second, third, John, he's the word of life and the truth by which we live. And Jude, he's the one who keeps us in the midst of a godless world. And in Revelation, he's the one coming soon to bring about the redemption of the entire creation. It's all about him. I highly recommend you make him the center of your life because he's the center of everything created and everything to come. And everything from Genesis to Revelation. Whatever you do. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do it all to his glory. I love this little section. Louis Giglio. In the air I breathe. Don't waste your worship. On some little god squandering your birthright on idols made only with human imagination. Guard your worship. And carefully evaluate all potential takers. To choose well doesn't mean we can't appreciate things of beauty and style. It's certainly not wrong to deeply love another. Nor is it a sin to value a great job or enjoy an amazing destination. But when we elevate any of these things to the highest place in our hearts, we've gone too far. Every day, there's a battle for your worship. Satan can't stop worship from happening, but he'll deceive anyone who lets him, leading them to empty wells and puny God. But with that, let me close by reminding us that in our text, was a Satan. It was a good angel. It was a godly, glorious experience. And it was John, the aged, committed, mature apostle. And if in his own imperfect heart, he could fall before an angel to worship and in doing so begin to get off track. And the angel had to say, not just once, but twice, get up, don't do it. And who are we? Who am I to think I don't need to be corrected when God gives me a great and glorious experience? And yet, when I begin to make that experience, that desire, that dream, whatever, more important than God's will for my life, then I've begun to worship something or someone other than God. 
As you continue to study the book of Revelation, you'll see destruction and death, but also the incredible future that awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus. The pictures painted of the throne room of heaven are inspiring and exciting, and you will one day get to stand where John stood. You'll meet the Lamb of God, who took away your sins. You'll rejoice with the angels and spend eternity getting to know your Creator as He always intended, in perfect love. This is something to cling to as you move through the difficulties of life. Knowing that you have a new home waiting in heaven can also be the catalyst to move you to share the good news of grace with others. They can also have a chance to live eternally with Jesus, and they might just be waiting for someone to introduce them. We hope today's message on the Living Word has been a blessing to you, and we'd like to tell you how you can access more teachings from Pastor Danny. All you need to do is visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. Are you listening in the St. Petersburg area right now? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Once more, that website is ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on The Living Word.